0: Influence Media segment here on the Winner's Paradigm Podcast. Today we've got an amazing guest, Shabnam Curtis, who talks about her story as an immigrant, really how she had to overcome adversity and really honing into being who she is, telling her memoir, speaking the facts that happened to her and helping people, making a tremendous impact. You guys are going to love this one. Stick around.
1: Why they act like tools,
0: can't win at the same time It's more than just sales and scaling your business with me and mine When the kitchen got hot, we kept it moving With us, there's always room for improvement You got the juice, you gotta prove it Don't talk about it, just do it That's what we like to call alpha and flow ain't no telling why we could do it
2: Just a little bit of alpha influence.
0: yo what is happening y'all it's Lundis, this, this is the winner's paradigm uh, i just want to say thank you guys for tuning in i haven't jumped on here in a very long time and i've been just grinding at the winner's paradigm you know and figuring out hey what's the direction we're going What are we tapping into? How are we going to help people? What kind of things are we unpacking and showing people, hey, what peace looks like when you finally are able to get through years of trauma, frustration, pain being built up? So in order for us to keep this message going, I need you to drop a five-star review and a rating and let me know how this show's helped you so we can keep the shit going. Now, the second thing I want to say is um, go to myfitlife.net if you use the code uh, TWP 20, you get 20% off all products. These are the products I'm using as well. So I don't promote something unless I'm using it. Last thing I just want to say is uh, do fucking you, do what fulfills you, do what makes you happy, do what's going to allow you to be able to get to that next level, to hit whatever it is, to be able to get over that goal. Because you may not be where you're at right now. Um, and excuse me, you may not be where you want to be right now, but when you look at it in that shell you're one day closer to where you want to be if you're putting that work in i know it's sometimes we want to beat ourselves up i do the same thing you know where i'm working on the business working on the podcast and it's like man i'm not where i need to be but i'm getting there it's a journey so give yourself some fucking grace pat yourself on the back and tune into the winner's paradigm podcast if you really want to fucking win let's get it
1: can act there are moments in my life that i can just focus on my on just surviving that's Mm -hmm. like that's how the fear gets to you so i think that that sense of um or longing for belonging Mm -hmm. the connection the deep connection made me just to uh be curious more about life i immigrated to the united states in 2004 Um, at the time because of the laws because of the um the situation in iran i was not being able to bring my daughter with me So it took us six painful years uh, for me to bring her here to the United States, to reunite and then to grow together again. Um, And um, I got to the point that like, I, I really feel like this is a story that I can share with others, because not because it's a different, it's a special story, not because it's like an accomplishment story, because it is a person, an ordinary person that like millions of others need to have a voice. And the reason was because I wanted to connect with others, but I also wanted others to share their stories. And then that path took me to, whoa, sharing our stories, bring us closer, bring our hearts closer to each other. And that's how I got back to school for coaching, for life coaching. Mm -hmm. And um, that that just warms my heart up because I can make a very deep connection with each one of my clients or in a workshop, you know, people open up when we talk about our emotions, when we talk about our behavior. Um, That's just like the main, I think it's been the main longing of my life to connect to other people and to life in any way deeper that I can.
2: That, that is amazing. And I love that so much. And I can resonate to the part where you're saying sharing the story and that because I went through um, with my life, you know, it was limiting beliefs. My parents were young when they had me. So they're partying and me seeing these things. And it was one of those just at a young age, it's like, I don't want to do that because I see what it is and they're drinking all the time. And then when I get older, I start, you know, falling into that where it's like, I'm doing the same exact things and I'm drinking and I'm running away from the problems. And one thing I've always done my whole life. So it's kind of funny, like starting the podcast, you know, and hearing like family, for instance, like, why would you want to start a podcast? And you're, you're putting your message out. I tell everybody what, how I grew up anyway. So it's one of those where it's like, now I'm just doing it and I'm projecting it to a larger audience. But I've always done that my whole life where if I was at a friend's house and their parents start talking to me and I just start opening up. And it's one of those, it's like, I like talking because when I go to other people's houses and stuff like that, they, they weren't going through that. You know, some of the kids, like for instance, um, I had one friend and I went to his house and he was yelling at his mother and I start laughing and I didn't mean to laugh because he's cursing at her, but it was one where it's like in my house that would never happen, you know, so it was that shared experience. So that's why I love when you're talking about the shared experiences, we can learn so much about ourselves um, just from listening to somebody else. So First thing we'll touch up on, you know, could you explain a little bit of the emotions you were going through that six years when you didn't have your daughter? And then when you got her back, you know, what kind of feelings were you going through? You know, how did that impact your life?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I I just want to touch on touch base on the, the story sharing, because. You know, each one of us is the hero in our story, right? But then, when I hear your story, and when I hear you as a hero in your story, and that universal, that the universality of our uh, mm-hmm. experience, that makes me like, yeah, that that's in a different way, maybe, but that's how I experienced in my house with my parents, and perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, I did the exact same thing that my parents did. That I was. Um, presenting to my own daughter. You know, it's just like amazing how we can observe ourselves through listening to other people's stories. That, that, that's beautiful. Thank you for saying that.
2: Thank you. I love how you said that as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, it was, um, it's very interesting that sometimes we have to make really difficult decisions Mm-hmm. um in my intuition was telling me that this is gonna work for the best and at the moment I knew I didn't have any other options um but at the same time it didn't lessen the pain Absolutely. it made me you know as as it was like a paradox that when I stepped foot in the United States I was very motivated to make a new life for me and for my daughter. But at the same time, I couldn't, I was so depressed that I couldn't even tolerate very little physical pain. Absolutely. Like it, it was in all my body, you know, I, I wanted to build a new life. I was trying hard for it, but it was it was emotionally very difficult so it was uh, in a different way of depression that like i was able to get out my to get myself out of bed every day because i was motivated but i was i was just sad i was heartbroken i cried a lot you know i was so sensitive
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i built in a different way i built so much tension in my body that on the top of the childhood traumas, I got to the point that, like, I was just so, um, I got, like, a void in my heart. And that's exactly happened when, right after my daughter came here. I was, like, a year after my daughter came here, I felt like Well, I have everything I wanted, you know, that American dream, that little beautiful house, the respectable job. My daughter is in a good high school. I was eventually in a good relationship with my partner. Everything was working out in in the surface, but I had this void in my heart. You want to call it midlife crisis, anything, but it was just like I've had so much in my heart that it needs to come out. It needs to be shared because I feel, I feel like there is this wall between me and the society that I want to break it. That's how I felt. And that's how it led me to start writing this story.
2: Wow. I love that. And that, and that brings in two things, what you were saying. So first thing, one thing I'm very fascinated about is immigrant mindset. And I just feel like so for me, it kind of is two things. So I had a stepdad that was racist and he would just say crazy things. Um, And then what's funny is my mom's parents, some of her siblings, um, because she has 11 brothers and sisters and seven of them, no, six of them came from Mexico. So to me, I didn't really acknowledge it because, and that's the funny thing too. Uh, my, My grandfather and my mom's dad he only spoke Spanish. So I never communicate I communicated with him by staring or pointing, but I well, didn't, didn't have a conversation. Exactly. So when people ask me, like, how was he or what? I don't know Spanish. So I didn't. And, and when I was younger, like I, I would interpret it and I would say it back in English but at the same time with him, it's like, I couldn't, you know? So I didn't really realize these things. And then once I got older, I started realizing it. I started looking at my family and and kind of how they were, you know, we were this close knit and then completely not. And it was one of those where it's like, we came to this country to have a better life and I feel extremely disappointed. And it's like, I understand, you know, accomplishment of getting the house and that's the biggest thing, but it's like, we're not pushing ourselves. We're not helping each other get better. We're complaining about things. Um, My mom mom has a a bad perception on other immigrants, which doesn't make sense to me. And it's because she had conversations with the wrong people. And they said, why would I want to work? I can just take government assistance. And I'm like, that's wrong because your family's proof of it of getting my grandfather's a contractor. So he worked in the fields. He had people who worked for him and that. When I was eight years old, they made me go work in the fields with them. And I said, that's not for me. So I've always found that fascinating. So I love your story on that. And you talking about the American dream, because I feel like that is a real thing still. It's just different now compared to what it was back then. And for everybody, it's different. Um, So I love that part there. And when you're talking about, you know, the, the childhood trauma, I love that, because that was something for me, um, I got married at 21. And all that came out, you know, it came out that I don't really like being around people. And it was why? Oh, because I'm an introvert. And why am I an introvert? Because it was one way to protect myself. And it was one way to, um, I, I was so used to people pushing their beliefs and I just didn't believe it that I didn't want to hear it, you know, and, and I had problems connecting with people and it was cause my dad brought, you know, a lot of girls in and out the house. So that was one reason. Uh, but two, it was like, I thrived for that energy. I thrived to learn from people. So if they're not teaching me that it's like, I don't want to, And even now I have to stop myself because I have those conversations and I'm just like, I don't drink anymore as much anymore. Excuse me. I do rare occasions. Um, So it's important, they're meaningful. So it's not that I'm going crazy. You know, I focus on my energy and I love the conversations that I have with people. So it's like when someone's talking about just whatever, or we only talk about sports, it angers me because it's like I want to know you on a personal level. I want to know what makes you think. I want to know what happened to you, why you think the way you do. So when things arise and mean you think completely different, we can be able to come to that agreement and say this is why. So thank you for for, you know touching Mm -hmm. up on that.
1: That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Yes, that's what is missing from that American dream. You just that's said funny. it, that when I'm talking to someone, it was just, it was, it touched my heart <laughs> that I want to know who you are, you know? And then it's very interesting when you said you were 21 when you were married. I was 19 when I was married. I got married for the first time and I was not even 21 when my child was born. Mm-hmm. And I felt very isolated and i felt like i didn't want to talk to anybody because of the child because in fact me getting married was escaping from parents house that was full of tension and trauma Absolutely. and then trauma trauma separates us trauma makes us feel unsafe and disconnects us from other people so it's like everything i see in other from trauma standpoint from the lenses that the trauma puts on my perception is everybody is unsafe, even when, you know, even when your mom says that, like, oh, immigrants, you know, we immigrants, we, we could have such a, um, such a um, distorted lens t- towards other immigrants, in fact, and I've seen it, I've, i basically, I've experienced it, and it's basically because of the hardship that we've had, we've gone through, it made us feel unsafe in our own body. Now we want to to connect to others the way that you said that, like, I wanna know who you are. I wanna know what you like, what you dislike, what happened to you. And that brings us together. That makes a sense of safety and co-regulation between us to make us closer and to make us feel like more connected to life.
2: I love that as well, and, and what I can say too um, that I haven't said yet is in high school. One of my best friends. It was kind of funny. He he kept trying to get me to go to his house, and I was like, "Are you weird?" And, and it was one of those. And he's Mexican as well. Um, his family is from a different part of Mexico than my family, so it was different. Like the the food they make, it's better. Uh, I think it's better. Um, some of the the other things they do, you know, real big on family. All the family was always there. And he was always trying to get me to come over and come over. And I ended up just living with them. You know, every day I would be there. I'd walk home. I would do my chores. But it was the tension at home, too. Um, So it was like seeing it. And they're the hardest working people I knew. And what was funny with him is like I was going through my stuff with my parents at the time. And he was a barber. So he was cutting hair. So like we always had friends at the house. And me and him got close. You know, that's my brother. And even to this day, I'll do anything for him. He has a daughter that's. Mm um, four, four years older than mine. So they're going to grow up together. And and it's one of those, like, I'll do anything for this guy. But what I'm saying is like, we were both going through two different things and his parents are immigrants and they're working all the time. So he's like, man, uh, one day we had a heart to heart and he's like, I've never told you this, but I needed you more than you needed me. And I'm like, I'm the messed up one. You know, I went through crazy things. He's like, bro, my parents were always working. Um, he had an older brother that moved away and then another one that lived there, but he had a daughter and a wife um so he's like we have all these people in the house like you were always here for me you took care of me um and he was the one who i didn't have money so he always paid for me so i was just like i owe you and i had that chip on my shoulders like i gotta get you back and he's like no you don't owe me a cent you know you were there for me because my parents were trying to make a better life for us. So it was like, he wasn't resentful for them. He was ho- ho- totally appreciative, but it was one of those, like, I didn't realize that, you know, that that was something big for him. It was like, his parents were always gone and then they would be there at nighttime, you know, but it's it's different when it's like nighttime versus like every weekend, seven days a week working. And I'm like, man, you know, they don't stop.
1: Right, 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 right. And yeah, what a, what a meaningful friendship you have built um, together. Over the years that that's that, you know, uh, there is a research uh, that shows for elder people um, that um, wealth and financial security as far as retirement is, of course, very important Mm -hmm. or having health insurance is very important, but compared to these major factors for elderly people is having meaningful and long relationships in their life that Absolutely. they can kind of like have a safety net. It's, it's way more important for their health and for their connection to life compared to having the elements
2: of financial or health insurance support. I, I love that and thank you for adding that there. Um, So the the next thing we'll go to, since we're already in that field and talking about, you know, working on those things and self-growth and focusing when you started um, doing your coaching practices, what were some of those things that allowed you to be able to translate that message that we're talking about and then be able to help people when you're coaching them and say, hey, you know, this is a little bit of my story. This is how I'm able to do it. This is how you can be able to convey your message.
1: Well, I love it when you say that because I've got a lot of um, feedback that, especially in the workshops, but on one-on-one coaching too, I, I'm very much like you. I I, I, um, uh, I, bring my personal experience to the to the whole game and I share it. Um, and it's, it brings kind of like a sense of trust that people start opening up. Um, but the very main thing is not only people feel the sense of trust that okay I can open up to this person. Maybe it's because oh maybe she can relate to me, or um, or she she's also gone through things that she could understand the hardship of being a human, you know. But it's also the presence. What I'm seeing, especially through one-on-one coaching, is people want to be heard and to be seen, and that sometimes I you know some especially in the beginning of my practice, it would be like my client just talking, 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 and I would just listen carefully and maybe just saying a couple of words just to validate the emotions and everything. And that would like, they would say at the end of the session, they were like, oh my God, I feel so much better. And I was like, I I didn't even say anything. I didn't even you know, ask any questions, but it was because they felt really hurt. It was because someone was sitting there with attentive listening that this person is just sitting here for me. It's not, you know, that that type of connection. I think this is really important for all of us mm-hmm. to feel heard and seen, true trust, you know. And so when when I... Like when you share with me your experience and when I share my, my experience with you, that creates the trust and then when we have when we bring the element of that attentive listening, then I feel like, actually he cares about me. He wants to know me. He wants to see what's going on in my body and in my head and in my heart. That brings such a calmness in our hearts.
2: Absolutely. And and to touch up on that, because we're talking about talking to the people and that um, at one point in time, and correct me if you're wrong, if you went through this, because I bet, I I bet you did a little bit of what I'm hearing. Um, Was there ever a time where, you know, like you said, when you got to that and you're like, I got the house, I have everything, but the relationships weren't there um, and you were working on it, but maybe, you know, there was a disconnect with your daughter a little bit. And it's like, you're working so hard, but then it's just not feeling right, you know, what were some of the things that allowed you to kind of work through that, so you can translate that with your partner, with your daughter, and you can be overall better for everyone?
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, I love that question, it's kind of like, um, I I wasn't present as, a, as much as I wanted to be, and I didn't know that, it was so subconscious, it was basically before I got to the point that like, I felt the, the void in my heart and I felt so confused. Mm-hmm. I was just going 100 miles per hour, you know, work, graduate school. My daughter being here, just got married with my partner. My parents came here as immigrants. I was just running and mm-hmm. I, I didn't have even time to breathe. And then mm-hmm. I got to a point like I am exhausted, but it was like, I didn't even know I was exhausted, but I felt confused. And then I felt like, wow, I have everything I wanted, but I feel ungrateful about it. So the guilty feeling came in. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, I actually need to slow down to be present with these people, to spend time with these people. You know, it's important to get a lot of achievement at work and work 12 hours per day, but I need to slow down. So I even changed my job. Um, I, I mean, just uh, like from one company to another company, but Absolutely. I wanted to be more, I wanted to spend more time with my daughter, to spend more time with my husband. we That's the time that we got a little dog. I think for the first time in my life, after having dog phobia, then we actually, I actually felt like I wanna be with this little creature because he is giving me joy and life and love. So it was like, I, that's how you live your life. That's how you spend time with, with your loved ones. And at the same time, I already had started to look at the relationships that I had and see if, I'm, if I am myself, if I can be as authentic as I can in a relationship, if not, I just cannot have, I just cannot afford to have that relationship in my life.
2: Wow. I, I love that so much. Cause I've been there where, like I said, you know, I got married and all that trauma came out and I thought this is the way I am. Maybe I should just get a divorce and move on with my life for my wife. And it was one of those, luckily, you know, I messed it all up when we first started dating, we had a miscarriage and that's what drew me to say, I can do this, but it was working through those things. It was having those conversations. And why do you think that way? Well, I never, I never believed in marriage. And why didn't you? Well, my dad had girls coming in and out. He cheats on them. He beats women. I just don't see that because he wasn't living that life and show me what a good marriage is. Or, you know, for my 16th birthday, he beat my stepmom and the next day they're cool and they're back to normal. And I'm sitting there upset, you know, and I'm trying to fight him. And it was one for me that, you know, and then my mom, and my stepdad, they were together for 12 years, but they didn't get married. And uh, he was married prior, so he didn't want to. So he, they were just engaged. And it was one for me. It's like, I didn't understand that, but I didn't see a healthy marriage. And even when, um, for instance, I didn't understand a divorce is that bad to people. Um, so right when I turned 21, too, uh, my wife went to the Navy and she, she wanted to start her career and my aunt and uncle, they were the ones that were like, together. And that was the glue. And I was like, Oh, there's such a great relationship. So she contacts me out of the blue one day. And hey, let's go to dinner and starts crying in the car. And I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, we're getting a divorce. And I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden, it's just like, I started to feel it. And I'm like, now I understand why people are in like, so upset acting out when their parents get a divorce. And and I didn't know that. And then it was piecing the little things together. I'm not going to jump into it. You know, out of respect for them, but both of them had things that were just coming out. And it was like, wow, I did not think you were that person. So like that hurt me because it was like hearing these things and nothing wrong with them. You know, everybody has their flaws, but it was something for me where it's like, I held them on a pedestal and then I realized they're human, you know, and I got to give them nice. gratitude because, they went through these things. So I love that you shared that. Thank you so much. Cause that's something that helped me. And I feel like that's what other people need to learn as well. Um, is like how to process that, how to be present in the moment. So bringing that, that's the second point. Um, I was working a job before I quit and started my own business and I was working 60 to eighty hours. And I told my wife like, Hey, I'm going to make it happen. And, and, and I did, you know, but she was telling me I'm like, we're losing each other because I was working so much. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't that I was trying to help the baby and, and she, was, um, she was going through, what is it? Um, the depression after having the baby. So right. that was very difficult because it was like, to me, it's like, you barely have the baby and now she's mm-hmm. upset. And it's just like, she wants the baby to calm down and, and she doesn't know how to convey that message. So it was very tough on both of us, but it was something for me to learn, to shut up and listen and not give a solution. Cause as men, we want to fix things and we want everybody to be happy. And it's like, there's a time you just got to listen. And that's where I was missing out, you know, in my marriage. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we'll touch up a little bit on your memoir. How was that, you know, when you were writing it, you know, now definitely conveying that message and, and putting it out there.
1: Oh, wow. Um, you know, I um, even now when I'm teaching memoir writing, I always mention that Um, That memoir writing is a healing process, Mm -hmm. um, but it can start very bumpy and very tough because the very first draft, when you just start writing your experience and your memories, it's kind of like reliving the traumas, reliving the experience. So it all comes out as very tough. Um, And it's okay, you know, because the more we talk about it, the more we write about it, words can help us to some extent, but words can help us to uh, bring a structure to all that mishmish emotion that we have inside. So it starts organizing it. And every time that you edit your memoir, it's kind of like a little bit more, a little bit more organization, to mm-hmm. all the thoughts and feelings that you have. Eventually you get to the point that, like you said it just now that, well, I just put them in the pedestal, but I, know, I, I learned that they are human. They have their own flaws. So that's why I called it paradox, my Persian paradox. And that's, that's exactly because of what you just said, because every human has her or his own strengths and the flaws absolutely me too you know just the more self observation i can have on my flaws and that's what memoir writing helps us um if we try um to be kind to yourself at the same time and that that takes time that that took me a therapy and a, a therapist and a coach to really see myself with kindness that oh it's not that ju- i just what, i was not I was just an idiot and I made mistakes over and over and over. It was mm-hmm. because I didn't know better. It was because of the pressure of the society. Um, at the same time, it made me feel responsible. It made me feel bad and process that guilty feeling. But it took that unhealthy shame away from me. Mm-hmm. So that that's how it all brought it together. Um, and I always, always want to emphasized, and when we when we write a memoir, when we share our stories, uh, we need to be able to see from other people's standpoints as well. And of course, you know, we can't rely on our memories 100%, and even uh, academically, it's proved that our memories are not 100%. But Maya Angelou says that I might not remember the words that you told me, I might not remember the Uh, the behavior that you did toward me, but I definitely will remember the the way that you made me feel. So that's what we want to bring out in a memoir writing, that um, how I felt and what was behind it, what was the cause of it, the root cause that came from other people, came from society, but we want to make sure that we we talk about the collective trauma, the, the intergenerational trauma, like you know, my father was alcoholic. My father was violent. My mother was had harsh discipline, but why? You know, what was the impact, the influence of the culture, a rigid male dominant culture? How the culture created fear in every person that the parent was so insecure that wasn't present for their own kid. So we wanna bring all of that in the game and that's, that's what I learned from writing a memoir, that how, how interconnected we are, even with that grandmother that I have never met because she died before I was born. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, um, it just brings everything together in a way that we can see it with, with a softness.
2: I, I love that. Again, because you're, you're showing the human side to it. But you're allowing us to be able to see the process of it, and when when you were writing it, you know, I know for me journaling's been big, because um, it allows me to tap into that. Is there anything else you recommend for someone if they were to restart right now and have to recalibrate their mindset? Is there anything else that you would say that worked for you, maybe, um, to decompress? And maybe it was going for a walk, or maybe it's uh, spiritual. You know, was there something that else that helped you? Um, that you would recommend to somebody that, hey, maybe try this if they're on that journey and they're starting?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yes. there. Uh, you know, every person has a unique path to grow and we can all grow. We all have infinite space to grow, right? But um, one thing that is very universal is to to be able to check in, to see how I feel now, what is the body sensation I feel now? Am I feeling a lot of stress? Am I feeling it on my shoulder, on my gut, on my chest? You know, where, where is the triggered piece of my body? And how does that make me feel? Do I feel unsettled or do I feel anxiety? You know, to name, they say name it to tame it. So that check in with us, within us, few times per day to just correct the posture, to just get your head up, to to bring a little bit energy to yourself is kind of like bring us back to a grounding point that like, oh, this is how I feel. And then how, what do I do to make that feeling be valid, but processed? You know, any, every feeling has a message. Sometimes it's con- going for a walk. Sometimes I want to go for a run. Sometimes I want to lay down and just relax all the muscles of my body. Sometimes I need to sit and meditate. I need. Sometimes I need to sing just to hum because that brings a lot of calmness. Yeah. We need to find which one it works at the moment for us, but we need to remember there is something that we can do to calm ourselves down, and then respond versus react. That's just like in a
2: nutshell that I can that I can suggest. That was perfect, because that's exactly, I'm reactive. And when it came down to it, why am I reactive? And it's kind of funny, I went to the military. um, And it's easy to, I mean, for me, I had the people in there that were 100% reactive to everyone, and they didn't have a good time. Um, But for me, the higher ups, I didn't. And then when it was like my subordinates, it was bad because I would treat them differently. So for me, it was, why am I reactive? What's the environment? You know, where I grew up, you have to watch yourself. You know, if you say the wrong thing to somebody, violence is happening. Um, At home, the same way, you know, my my mom's house, I had to be very formal. My stepdad did not let me use slang. He would be like, that's ghetto and, and start getting upset, you know, and then my dad's house, like he didn't care about those things. So it was like, I can act like a, a crazy monster, but when I was in third grade, I was getting in fights every day and it came out to, you know, I couldn't deal with it because one week it was, I had the structure and then I didn't. So I had to create that for myself and learn those things. So thank you so much for touching up on that. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you. Where can anybody find you if they want to keep up with you? They want to hear more about your message.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I would love to be in touch with anybody who has any question or wants to talk, to, to get in touch. Um, well, I think when you sh- when you search Shabnam Curtis in Google, my website comes up. It's ShabnamCurtis.com. I'm also in Instagram and Facebook, and my messaging is open. So I would love to be in touch with people if they have any questions or if they want to talk. Um, I, would, I would love to.
2: Absolutely, Shabnam. And thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on. We'll definitely be in touch.
1: Thank you so much. Why they act like
0: tools, can't win at the same time It's more than just sales and scaling your business with me and mine When the kitchen got hot, we kept it moving With us, there's always room for improvement You got the juice, you gotta prove it Don't talk about it, just do it That's what we like to call out for influence. Really, ain't no telling why we could do it Just a little bit of alpha